0: Introduction Stealing Past Watchful Dragons The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe had its beginnings, C.S. Lewis said, in a picture that kept running through his head from the time he was sixteen years old. A fawn, half goat and half man, in a snowy forest holding an umbrella and carrying packages. When he was about forty years old, Lewis decided to write a story about it. Other pictures came bubbling and boiling as he put it into his mind, a queen on a sleigh, a lamppost in the woods. Then a lion, he said, came bounding into it all. When the lion came, the story all started to come together. He began with these mental pictures, he said, but to make a story out of them, he next needed a form. What kind of story could contain a fawn, a queen, a lamppost, and a lion? A fairy tale, of course. That form, in turn, had rules of its own that he would have to follow. The writing would have to be brief and to the point. The fairy tale form, likewise, has traditions that he would have to follow, and yet it is also flexible, capable of covering a lot of territory. The vocabulary, though, would be limited. As he began writing, Lewis said that he fell in love with the fairy tale form, appreciating its difficulties like a sculptor appreciates the hardness of the stone. But then the story acquired a larger purpose— Lewis had become a Christian as an adult. All of his life he had felt a deep yearning, even though he did not know what he was yearning for. After a long time, he learned about the God who created the world, who came into that world in the flesh as the God-man, Jesus Christ, who rescued us from Satan by dying for our sins, who rose from the dead to give us a new and everlasting life through the Holy Spirit. The Christian faith fulfilled all of his yearnings. The truths of the Bible were mind-blowing, so amazingly wonderful that for a while he thought they must be too good to be true. Only when he stopped fighting God and believed Christ did he realize that they were true all the same. There is nothing more marvelous than the truths of Christianity. So why do so many people think they are boring? How is it that even believers sometimes treat theology as if it were uninteresting, dull, irrelevant? How can anyone be less than excited about the mysteries of the Trinity, the Incarnation, the Atonement, the Kingdom of Heaven, the rich and complex and beautiful view of reality that is opened up by the Christian worldview. By the time Lewis started on his fairy tale, he had already become a remarkably effective apologist for the Christian faith. Part of his effectiveness came from his ability to show readers that there is more to Christianity than they perhaps realized. In books such as Mere Christianity, he not only makes a persuasive case that Christianity is true— He also shows just how rich and full the Christian faith can be to those who have previously taken it for granted or have never taken it seriously. Lewis remembered how, as a child, he was taken to church. There, he did learn about Jesus. But how, he wondered, could he have missed the magnitude of who Jesus is and what Jesus had accomplished for him? He realized he had been told how he ought to feel about, say, the sufferings of Christ, and yet... That very sense of obligation, he thought, can freeze out a genuine emotional response. Plus, he was taught to approach the stories of the Bible with so much reverence that they were distanced from his real life. As Lewis was piecing together his imaginative pictures of the fawn, the witch, the lamppost, and the lion into a fairy tale, a thought occurred to him. Perhaps his story could break through the inhibitions, misunderstandings, and false connotations that often block children and adults from coming to terms with the Christian message. Supposing that by casting all these things into an imaginary world, stripping them of their stained glass and Sunday school associations, one could make them for the first time appear in their potency. Could one not thus steal past those watchful dragons? In a letter, he went so far as to say that the fairy tale version of the passion in the lion, etc, works, because, though this sounds odd, It bypasses one's reverence and piety. Lewis was certainly not against stained glass or Sunday school or reverence or piety. His point was that he wanted to present the Christian story in a fresh way, to get past the defenses of those who think they have heard it all before, who are so familiar with the Bible stories that they no longer notice how amazing they are. He wanted to present spiritual truths in such a way that they sneak by the watchful dragons that are on guard against them. His method was to make his fairy tale into a wondrous fantasy that had as its meaning spiritual reality. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was published in 1950. Lewis kept writing stories about the world he created until he had written the seven titles in the Chronicles of Narnia. They have sold millions and millions of copies, becoming favorites of children and adults alike. And now that the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is being turned into a major motion picture, even more people of all ages will be drawn into this world, whose message may well sneak past their dragons. Baptizing the Imagination Lewis said that a key event in his own journey from atheism to faith was happening to pick up a book that caught his eye in a bookstall in a train station, Titled Fantasties, it was written by the 19th century Christian author George MacDonald. Some readers today find it captivating, while others are totally bewildered by it. But for Lewis, this work of fantasy had a dramatic effect. He said that reading the book gave him a glimpse of something beyond the train station and his own grubby life. A sense of something good and mysterious and powerful. And without his knowing what it was, the book made him yearn for it. Later, he said, he realized that the book was giving him his first experience of a sense of holiness. As he put it, fantasies baptized his imagination. It would be years later before Lewis came to believe that Jesus was the Son of God and trusted Christ as his Savior. This happened in large measure thanks to the witnessing of his good friend J.R.R. R. Tolkien, another great fantasy writer and the author of The Lord of the Rings. But Lewis believed that reading the fairy tale by George MacDonald that he'd just happened to pick up in a train station long ago played a role in his spiritual pilgrimage. Many readers could say the same about the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Lewis's books have helped bring untold numbers of people to faith and have helped even more to hold on to that faith and to grow spiritually. Some cite his apologetic books, besides mere Christianity, titles such as The Problem of Pain, Miracles, God in the Dock, as having had a profound impact on their lives. Others cite the influence of his fiction, including his most popular, biggest-selling books of all, The Chronicles of Narnia. How can that be? Surely Christianity must be about truth, not fantasy. Faith is not just some inner, mystical feeling. Rather, it is a relationship with Christ based on what he did for us on the cross as revealed in God's Word, That is to say, genuine faith is grounded in something other than the self. It is extra nos, as the theologians say, meaning outside the self. Faith is a connection with the objective reality of Christ and what he achieved for us at Calvary. Genuine faith is not just a matter of something inside our heads. Surely, some fantasy, a made-up story that appeals to our imagination, can have nothing to do with true faith. In fact, deriving our beliefs from fantasy is surely dangerous, a formula for idolatry rather than the true faith. It is certainly true that many people have a fantasy religion, a self-made theology that is dreamed up according to their desires, but that exists only in their heads. Lewis himself, more than almost anyone else, battled these kinds of delusions and idolatries. In his nonfiction, and I would say even in his fantasies, his message was always that Christianity is not simply something we make up for ourselves, some inner construction that makes us feel better. Rather, he always insisted and argued and demonstrated that Christianity is objectively true. But here is why our imagination does need to be baptized. The word imagination does not mean simply making things up, nor does it have anything to do with being creative as when artsy types make excuses for themselves and try to impress us by insisting on how imaginative they are. Rather, the word imagination refers to a power that we all have, one that we nearly always take for granted despite how astonishing it really is. Our imagination is simply our amazing ability to conjure up images in our minds. I say the word tree, and you can think of a tree. I say the term Christmas tree, And you can picture one in all of its colors, decorations, and lights. You can even imagine how it smells. You can also bring in all of your memories. That time when you were six that you found that favorite toy from your parents under the tree. And the personal associations that come along with the Christmas tree. How you miss that old house where you put up the tree in the center of the room, back before the death in the family, or the divorce, or whatever, as your imagination brings back all of the memories. We do not think just in ideas or abstractions. We also think with our imagination. That is, we think in images, in tangible details.